Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. Between a full-time job in IT and a full-time job in podcasting, it gets harder and harder to sit down and read the books I'm interested in. This is where Audible comes in. I can listen on my daily commute, relaxing, or while out running errands and still get in the books I've been wanting to get into. You can download titles and listen offline anytime, anywhere. The app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. Now you can try Audible risk-free with a special 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com forward slash nerdery and murdery. That's audibletrial.com forward slash nerdery and murdery. Don't let your busy life get in the way of that great book you've been wanting to read. Go get your free trial of Audible today. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. This is Jeffrey, and we've talked about many times before that I experience problems and struggles with my mental health. And really, without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy does work. It's helped for me. But but what is is therapy exactly? It's it's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships at work or you're not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's really time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles. And, and it's time to start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is a customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And there's a special offer to Nerdery and Murdery listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash nerderyandmurdery. That's betterhelp.com forward slash nerderyandmurdery. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. You're listening to the sweet sounds of Nerdery and Murdery. You're an idiot. Welcome to episode 62 of Nerdery and Murdery. Uh, 62. I'm Zig with your Nerdery. And I'm Jeffrey with your Murdery. Welcome to another week of the ups and the downs and the Nerdery, the Murdery, the hijinks, the low jinks. And so with that, I will turn it over to Zig for the hijinks portion of our show. Why, thank you, sir. Uh, I actually want to start out by giving a little shout out. Uh, as of the time we're recording this, it is uh, Lorelai's eighth birthday. So, ah, so happy, happy birthday. birthday to Lorelai. We're going to get into some shenanigans when I get home today. So. Awesome. 
Today, we are going to talk about Steve Jackson Games. Which we've talked a little bit about him before, because we did GURPS. Yes. So, we have talked a little bit about Steve yes. Jackson. I kind of felt like GURPS needed to be an, a, an episode by itself. Sure. But there are also several things that Steve Jackson did uh, in the interim that we really, I think, bear talking about as well. Yeah, so, sure. No, don't disagree. We, we may touch on GURPS, but just as, you know, from a standpoint of where it sits in the company. Yeah. Uh, oh, I need to give a retraction as well. Uh, the the Robotech book that I used to fawn over that Don had that mm-hmm. I read cover to cover wasn't the Steve Jackson version of Macross. It was mm-hmm. actually the Palladium Games one. Um, I had to get a correction from Don. He's like, I never had that book. <laughs> this is the Palladium Games one that you used to read all the time. I'm like, okay, so... Uh, so Steve Jackson Games is a game company founded in 1980 by Steve Jackson... Um, that creates and publishes role-playing, board, and card games, and until 2019, the gaming magazine Pyramid. So, which amazes me that we actually had a magazine that lasted that long. Right. Um, and Pyramid is basically based on one of the games they did called the, uh, the Illuminati, which they republish every few years. And it's been going since, I believe, 1983. Yeah, I've got a copy of the Illuminati. It's a lot of fun. It's it's a it's a game where you uh, <clears throat> where you play uh, a secret society trying to take over the world, and you arrange these cards out in a very complex Venn diagram in front of you, trying to beat the other players. Where uh, it, you are encouraged to cheat. Um. But it was uh, the the company itself was founded in 1980, six years after the creation of Dungeons and Dragons. SG Games or Steve Jackson Games created several role playing and strategy games with science fiction themes. SG Games early titles were micro games, initially sold in four by seven inch Ziploc bags, and later in the similarly sized pocket box games such as Ogre, Car Wars, and GEV, which was an Ogre spinoff, were popular during the Steve. Steve Jackson games early years game designers such as uh, Lauren Weissman and Jonathan Lasitko have worked for Steve Jackson games on and off for, you know, since the 1980s. Keith and I used to play Ogre. That's a, that is a hard game. Not, not necessarily a hard game to learn how to play, but it's a hard game to play if you're not the Ogre. <laughs> Easy to learn, hard to master. Yes. Yes, I mean, the ogre is this big old, massive, almost indestructible war tank. And you you have two players, one that plays the ogre, one that plays all the other armies going up against the ogre. Everybody else trying to kill the ogre. Yeah, Yeah, it's difficult. (laughs) Very. Um, Now, today, Steve Jackson Game publishes a variety of games, such as card games, board games, strategy games, and in different genres, such as fantasy, sci-fi, and gothic horror. They also publish the book uh, Principa Discordia, the Sacred Text of the Discordian Religion, which I think goes back to their uh, Cthulhu game. Uh, On March 1st, 1990, the Secret Service raided the offices of Steve Jackson Games, seizing three computers, two laser printers, dozens of floppy disks, and the master copy of GURPS Cyberpunk, a a genre toolkit for cyberpunk games, written by Lloyd Blankenship, the hacker and an employee at the time. Uh, The Secret Service believed that Blankenship had illegally accessed Bell South's uh, systems, 
and uploaded a document possibly affecting 911 systems onto Steve Jackson's game game's public bulletin board system. And furthermore, the GURPS cyberpunk would help others commit computer crimes. Uh, during the investigation, the Secret Surfer, Surfer, Service also read and deleted private emails on one of the computers, though the material was later returned in June. Steve Jackson Games filed suit in federal court, winning at trial. The raid led to the formation of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which was founded in July of 1990. And let me say this, folks. In the community, the nerd or geeky community, um, <clears throat> this actually helped Steve Jackson Games sales. <laughs> They couldn't publish for about six months, but boy, when they could, people bought their stuff all across the board. Um, they also have a, well, it was a bulletin board. It's it's an older website now, and it reads like an older website. But you can go to Steve Jackson Games' website and see everything they have ever published, which is 1,500 games or modules wow. at this point. Yeah, uh, Take your time, because it's about 50 pages. They publish uh, games, books, and other entertainment and information, both on paper and online. They're known for Munchkin, Zombie Dice, the aforementioned Ogre, Shea Geek, GURPS, which we've talked about, Car Wars, The Fantasy Trip, and Illuminati, which we discussed. Uh, the company was founded in 1980 by Steve Jackson's. He did his first game design working for Metagaming starting in 1977. In 1980, he bought Space Gamer from Metagaming and went into business for himself. Three games and one set of Cardboard Heroes figures were released in late uh, 1980. The new company uh, really took off in 1981 when Car Wars hit the store. So what Car Wars is for the uninitiated, uh, there are two versions of this game. One is a card game, which you could sit around and play with your friends, which is a lot of fun. We play a lot. Mm -hmm. um, where you have basically have these cars, and they have to fight each other, and you draw for bullets and things like that. The other game is a role-playing game where you basically design a car with weapons and backup systems, and you carry it to these places where you have these battles inside an arena known as Car Wars. There was a video game adaptation, too. There was! Mm -hmm. uh, Commodore 64, I believe. Yeah, I forgot about that. I wonder if that's on the new Commodore 64. Could be. That would be nice to see, because I'd like to play that again and Leather Goddess of Phobos mm -hmm. again, because I haven't played that in a while. I know you can upload the new mini C64 and C64, the VIC-20, and they finally released an Amiga, that company, so you can actually play Amiga 500 games as well uh, on, I don't want to say original hardware, because it's not, it's emulated. Right. But you can play those old games, and in common in the Commodore cases, you can actually do programming and program your own games or upload games right. in the old Commodore um, operating system, which is amazing. Yeah, I played the Car Wars video game quite a bit. Uh, it was difficult, but it was fun, and the was Car it, Wars card game, but never the role playing game. Was the was the game text based or no? It was graphic. Okay. It was graphics. I mean, it was Commodore 64 graphics, but it was I don't graphics. think I've ever played it. I've heard about it. Oh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Nice. Uh, Yeah, I just, the only person I know who's actually played the role-playing game is Don. Mm -hmm. I don't know. He was playing it quite a bit when he was back east. Um, Steve Jackson Games is, is 
is, is actually doing quite well now. Uh, they are somewhere north of 30 employees and contractors, plus a number of part-time staff uh, and so on. In terms of sales, there's, uh, they're sometimes in the top 10 adventure game companies, but depending on what you call an adventure game company, not in the top five. Um, a lot of this I got I cribbed from their website. They're pretty open and honest about their methodology. Um, <laughs> even the uh, the Secret Service rating their company. Um, I can't remember. Was Magblast a Steve Jackson Games too? I believe so. I think Magblast that was, was also. another great card game. Yeah, when it came out, it came, uh, Magblast came out, and then Munchkin came out shortly after. Right. Um, Munchkin, I think, is their biggest seller right now uh, because it's got there's lots of iterations. Yeah, there's lots of iterations of it. Basically, what Munchkin is is it's a it's a card game based around uh, a dungeon a dungeoning adventure party and how players would Munchkin their uh, their characters and by munchkining, what that means is you, you, you develop your characters in such a way where they, they're unbeatable. So you've got weird things in munchkin like the bandana of badassness or badass bandana, um, the dirty bastard sword, the bottle bottle. Magblast, by the way, was fantasy flight games. Oh, Magblast was fantasy yep. flight? Yep. That's the least intricate game I've ever seen by them. <laughs> Because usually they design little pieces. That's just that's just card cardstock. Um. So as I said, they were uh, Steve Jackson's has published fifteen hundred games, expansions, and accessories, books, toys, and other unclassifiable items. For a current listing, you can go to their website uh, on their R Games page for a complete list, and it's again titled everything that they've ever released, um, including how to get it. Uh, even some of the stuff that's that's not published, you, they'll give you links on where you can find it. They describe Munchkin as a dungeon crawling without the annoying role-playing junk in the form of a card game. It's fun, it's funny, and it's their top seller. It spawned two board games, Munchkin Quest and Munchkin Treasure Hunt, and started to cross over to other games. Uh, Munchkin Panic, Munchkin Loot Letter, and Munchkin Gloom. Uh, they've invaded TV shows, Munchkin Adventure Time, Munchkin Rick and Morty, Munchkin The Nightmare Before Christmas, and comics, Munchkin Marvel Edition, Munchkin X-Men Edition, and there's more to come from Munchkin uh, until, as, as Steve Jackson likes to put it, until Munchkin takes over the world. Now there's actually a Munchkin collectible card game as well. And uh, a console game for Asmodee, uh, inspired by Munchkin, whatever Asmodee is. Um, and again, we talked about GURPS. GURPS stands for Generic Universal Role Playing System. They have published 400 different books and supplements for GURPS. Uh, and they have a uh, character design program called GURPS Character Assistant, uh, for fourth edition. And you can go to, uh, the more about GURPS page again on their website. Uh, Ogre was Steve Jackson's first game. Originally published in 1977, it's a future war game in which one side has a single giant robot tank, uh, the ogre, and the other the other has forces of infantry and armor. The ogre's goal is to destroy the enemy command post, while the defender's goal is to preserve it, regardless of losses. Ogre has been released in a number of versions, including miniature rules. The current version of Ogre is in the sixth edition. 
Uh, plastic miniatures have been released and more sets are coming. Uh, computer game uh, from Oroki Digital is now on Steam, so you can go and play it if you want to play it again. Mm-hmm. And they're continuing to release scenarios and the Ogre support. Um, they also have another uh, card game called Shade Geek, which is basically a... Uh, I don't know if I'm going to say it's a send-up of fanboys, but it's kind of a fanboy game. Uh, a fanboy... I guess poking fun at, it, at us as fanboys. Uh, but basically, the idea is you want to be able to sit around and play games all day as opposed to going to work. So you get these things called slack points. I think you've got a copy of Shea Geek, don't you? Um, I might have a copy of that still. Yeah. It's been a while. Also, Zombie Dice, if you've never played mm-hmm. Zombie Dice. I've got Zombie Dice. I mean, we play that all the time. Um, so Steve Jackson games has been around a long time and they're, what they're great about is, yes, I love the big fantasy flight broad games, but Steve Jackson games, they like to get stuff out that's fairly easy to understand, but as you said, hard to master and it's cheaper. You know, a set of Munchkin is not that expensive and you can build multiple sets over time by just adding things to it. The same with Ogre. Ogre wasn't that expensive when it came out. Now, Illuminati now is, but it's because there's, you know, seven, eight hundred cards in that game now. So, but again, for a game that you're going to play multiple times, it's it's not as expensive as, say, the Axis and Allies 1911 edition, you know, where you're playing World War One or the 1914 edition, where you've got to, you've got to play... You got to pay somewhere upwards of a hundred dollars. Yeah, Steve Jackson's most expensive games probably thirty five. So they're 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 inexpensive and fun to play. I I love the humor behind Steve Jackson and a lot of the stuff he's done. And I know we've discussed GURPS, but there that's a lot of fun too. Now it is hard to roll up a character in GURPS, but once you get the character going, the gameplay is is pretty rapid. Right. It leads to role playing. The the Car Wars game was actually called Auto Duel. Auto Duel. Yeah. Yeah, it was on the Atari 8-bit family, Commodore 64, Apple II, Macintosh, and DOS. Nice. Yeah, released in 87. And it was a it was a basically a Car Wars game. Yeah. Yeah, straight yeah, up. Yeah, you went through you went from town to town and um you Geared up your car, took it to took it to dual fights, so on, so on and so forth. Take it to salvage, get new cars, so on and so forth. It was a, it was a, it was a cool, cool game. I, I, well, I mean, you know, a lot of the stuff that Steve Jackson did was just was just amazing. Um, some of the uh, some of the artwork um, is really, really complex, and some of it is very cartoonish, especially with. With Munchkin, it reminds me of the early, of the early Magic: The Gathering stuff. You'd have something that's really funny and cartoonish, and something that's really, really lifelike. You know, in the same game, you get that a lot with Steve Jackson. Um, and I want to say a lot of fun. I just want to make sure that we've got looking into. Make sure we've got. Yes, I do have a YouTube link to the tabletop episode will wheaton's tabletop where he played munchkin with steve jackson nice (laughs) 
Uh, I also made the uh, gave us the link to everything that Steve Jackson Games has ever produced. The actual link is there, so you can go straight to it. Uh, the Steve Jackson Game page on Board Game Geek and the Steve Jackson Online Store, as well as their the, the link to their uh, website. Uh, the their online store is called Warehouse Twenty Three, which I think is cute. But that's basically it for Steve Jackson games. I know it wasn't a lot, but we covered a lot with the GURPS. So I just kind of wanted to talk about Steve Jackson games in general because I think more people need to get out there and check it out. Well, and I mean, if 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 you want a really funny time, play play Munchkin. Oh goodness gracious, yes, Munchkin is hysterical. All oh, yeah. the various iterations of 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 Munchkin are just a blast, and it's a card game. As you said, it's not expensive. It's no. easy to learn. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's 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 easy to learn, and it's a lot of fun, and, and it's a good game to play and kind of screw your friends over. <laughs> Same time while you're playing. Yeah, because that's pretty much what it's about. Yeah, it's what we used to refer to as a dick me, fuck me game. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, kids, get out there and play some Steve Jackson games. Check out the links. Look at some of the pictures. You're going to love it. Especially Illuminati. If if you are into, if you are into humor about, I don't want to say government agencies, but large conglomerates and things like that. If if puns on those things you find humorous, you're going to love Illuminati because mm. it's all one big joke. I honestly can't think of anything that I've played Steve Jackson that has not been just a blast to play. Yeah, I mean, all, all the games are, are great. Yeah, and most of the time they're they're fast too. That's another yes. thing. Um, well, except for the the role playing games, of course, you know the, the times. But the board games and the card games are usually quick plays. You know, which which is really why I was thinking Magblast was a part of that because it's it's Magblast is so similar to Car Wars, oh, yeah. the Car Wars card game. Yes. And we have played Car Wars card games with as many as ten people mm-hmm. sitting at a table and as few as three or four people. I can remember one car uh Car Wars game in particular where we had ten people sitting around a a table and one guy mouthed off so he was the last person to go. So the first person who went took a shot at him, and then the next person took a shot at him, and then the next person took a shot at him. Oh, yeah. It's a, it, it's, it's putting, the dude it, never got to play. No, putting a target on your back. Yeah. He doesn't have armor on his left side. Yeah. That's a common, common reference when you're playing that game is, I smell blood in the water. Yeah, putting a target on somebody's back is just, Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. So the yeah, the Car Wars card game, which I believe is in its fifth iteration at this point, uh-huh. it's the same game. They just keep republishing it, right? Uh, and redoing the rules. Now I know there's two ways to play it. There's the 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 way you play it where you can only take one shot with a gun, uh, with with a shot. Um, and then there's a free for all where you could take as many shots as you have bullets for. Um. I like both versions. I think I prefer taking as many shots as you want, but that game that game ends pretty quickly. Yeah, I was going to say I'd stay with the single shot one. It kind of makes the game go a little bit longer. Yes, yes, and there is a you can spin or swerve to avoid a fight. But keep in mind, if you do that, there is a there is a a counter to that called skid into the wall, which is my favorite card in the whole game. 
well, doing some of doing some of those kind of dangerous dangerous spins too can cause damage to your vehicle, uh-huh. and damage to your armor, to your tires, to your tires. Yeah, you can't swerve if you take nine nine points of damage on your tires. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So my favorite is skidded to the wall. But what's really sad is if you swerve and you hit skidded to the wall, not only do you take the damage, but you still take the damage points on your tires. Right. Love that card. So yeah, get out there, play Steve Jackson games. Give love to Steve Jackson because they could use it. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff with Steve Jackson games. Thank you, sir. Uh, with that, we'll step over to the murdery side of the house. Murder. For today, I got my information off all that's interesting, uh, an online psychology degree guide, Wikipedia, and crime museum, and this is the story of Albert Fish, the Brooklyn Vampire. Albert Fish, the Brooklyn Vampire. Mm-hmm. I seem seems like I've heard this before. Well, it's, it's an old one. <clears throat> uh, we start off in November of 1934, and 10-year-old Grace Budd has been missing for six years. Uh, there have been no promising clues or developments regarding her disappearance, that is, until her mother, Delia Flanagan Budd, received an anonymous letter. It read, quote, Dear Mrs. Budd, on Sunday, June the 3rd, 1928, I called you at 406 West 15th Street, brought you pot cheese, strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat in my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her. What? So this this bizarre rambling letter that Miss Bud received on that cold November evening began with the tale of the of a deckhand who developed a taste for human flesh, and ended with the harrowing description of Mrs. Bud's daughter being murdered and roasted in the oven. Although the written confession was unsigned and nameless, it was the beginning of the end for the cannibalistic serial killer Albert Fish. How his exorbitant madness and murderous bloodlust came to be, however, is a tale as macabre and unimaginable as the death of Grace Bud itself. So, born on May 19, 1870 in Washington, D.C. to Randall and Ellen Fish, Hamilton Howard Albert Fish had many names. So, when a killer is dubbed the, when a serial killer is dubbed the Brooklyn Vampire, the Moon Maniac, the Werewolf of Wisteria, the Gray Man, and the Boogeyman, it's almost certain he is thoroughly deranged. Right on. Uh, Fish once boasted that he had children in every state, and at one time stated his number of victims was about 100. However, it's not known whether he was referring to rapes or cannibalism, nor is it known if his statement was truthful. He was small, quiet, and unassuming, and he had a face that blended in with the crowd and a private life that would have frightened even the most hardened criminals. As a child, Fish was plagued by mental illness, as were a number of his family members. Not only was his brother in an asylum, but his uncle had been diagnosed with mania, while his mother routinely experienced visual hallucinations. His father was 75 years old at the time of Fish's birth and died when Albert was just five years old. His widowed mother didn't have the resources to care for Albert and his three siblings alone and left them with a state orphanage, and it was there that he conceived a passion for pain. The caretakers at the orphanage regularly beat the children and even encouraged the children to hurt each other. But while the other children lived in fear of painful punishments, Fish reveled in them. He later recalled, Quote, I was there till nearly nine, and that's when I, where I got started wrong. We were unmercifully, unmercifully, unmercifully whipped. I saw boys doing many things that they should not have done. He came to enjoy and associate the pain with pleasure, which would later seep into sexual gratification. When his mother became fin- mentally stable and financially self-sufficient enough to take him home in 1880, she removed him from the orphanage, but the damage had already been done. 
Yeah, it sounds like they were they were trying to build a factory to produce serial killers. One would think, based on what we know now. Yes. Yes. Fish not only continued to administer his own beatings, but began an unhealthy relationship with the telegraph boy in 1882. The child introduced him to the sexual practice of urolagnia and coprophagia, the consumption of human waste. Yeah. Eventually, his sadomasochistic tendencies led him to an obsession with with sexual self-mutilation. He would regularly embed needles into his groin and abdomen and flog himself with a nail-studded paddle. He's not quite right in the head. Um, yeah, okay. In 1890, after a 20-year-old fish moved to New York City, his crimes against children began. Uh, He became increasingly curious about the pain of others and wasted no time after moving to New York City to learn more. He started prostituting himself and molesting young boys whom he'd lure from their home to rape and torture them, and a nail-studded paddle was, was his favorite weapon. Remarkably, in 1898, Fish married a woman his mother had introduced him to and fathered six children with her. And while he never violently abused his own, Fish continued raping and torturing other children throughout their childhood. Throughout 1898, Fish worked as a house painter. He said he continued molesting children, mostly boys younger than age six. He later recounted in an incident in which he, in which a male lover took him to a waxworks, waxworks museum where Fish was fascinated by a bisection of a penis. After that, he became obsessed with sexual mutilation. In 1903, he was arrested for grand larceny, convicted, and incarcerated in Sing Sing. He'd be released by 1910 and began again working as a house painter in Delaware, and this is where Fish met Thomas Kedden. Fish and Kedden began a sadomasochistic relationship, although it is unknown how much Vic Kedden actually consented to. In later descriptions of the affair, Fish would hint that Kedden was perhaps intellectually disabled, although it was always difficult to sort fact fact from fiction in Fish's tales. Only ten days after their initial meeting, Fish lured Kedden to an abandoned farmhouse under the pretense of a tryst. When Kedden arrived, however, he found himself locked inside, and for two weeks, Fish tortured Kedden. The budding killer mutilated the other man's body and cut off half his penis. Then as suddenly as he arrived, Fish disappeared, leaving Kedden with a $10 bill for his trouble. Fish later recalled, I shall never forget his scream or the look that he gave me. He cut off half of his penis. And then gave him a $10 bill and left. Huh. Okay. I'm with you. By 1917, Fish was having difficulty concealing the symptom of severe mental illness, leading his wife to leave him for another man. Uh, Fish's wife left him for John Straub, a handyman who boarded with the Fish family. Fish then had to raise his children as a single parent. After his arrest, Fish told a newspaper that when his wife left him, she took nearly every possession the family owned. His self-harm grew thereafter from pressing more and more needles into his groin to stuffing... This this one got me. To stuffing wool covered in lighter fluid into his anus and then setting it on fire. So he... He made himself a human firecracker? Okay. After his arrest, x-rays would uh, reveal that Fish had at least 29 needles lodged in his pelvic region. He began having auditory hallucinations as well. At one point, he recalled wrapping himself in a carpet on the instructions of John the Apostle. He began teaching his own children strange and oddly sadomasochistic games before developing an obsession with cannibalism. 
While Fish was never thought to have physically attacked or abused his own children, he did encourage them and their friends to paddle his buttocks with the same nail-studded paddle he used to abuse himself. And as a precursor to consuming human flesh, he began to eat raw meat, meals he often invited his children to share. By 1919, his obsession with torture and cannibalism had brought him to contemplate murder. He began looking for vulnerable children, such as intellectually disabled orphans or homeless black children, usually assumed wouldn't be missed. Fish would later claim to have occasionally paid boys to procure other children for him. Fish tortured, mutilated, and murdered young children with his implements of hell, a meat cleaver, a butcher, a butcher knife, and a small handsaw. He would claim in his trial and later writings that God was speaking to him, commanding him to torture and consume young children. He scoured advertisements in local papers put out by families looking for someone to perform housework or by young men looking for work themselves, and it was through one of these advertisements that he found young Grace Bud. Grace wasn't always Fish's intended to, uh, in, initial intended target. It was actually her older brother that he had set his sights on. Uh, Edward Bud was looking for work on a farm or in the country, and that's why he put in the ad that Fish encountered. Fish originally planned on hiring Edward and bringing him out to his country house to torture him. Thus, under the false name Frank Howard, Fish called on the Bud family in their Manhattan home. He claimed to have some farm work upstate that needed doing, and he was also looking for some help around the house. He stated he would like to have Edward come to work for him at his farm, telling the story of his six children and how his wife left him and was Edward interested. Edward was inclined to take the job from the unremarkable grave-faced gentleman, and he was looking forward to having a job and providing for his family, and Howard even offered a job to Edward's friend, Willie. Howard planned to come pick them up a few days later and take them back to his farm to begin work, but when he didn't show, he provided a handwritten note explaining that he would be touching in touch in a few days, and he came over for a visit the following morning, and the family invited him to stay for lunch. But this is where Fish's interest suddenly shifted. While Edward was mulling over his offer, Fish noticed a young girl standing behind her parent, ten-year-old parents, ten-year-old Grace. He had a new plan, and he didn't waste any time. While discussing his fictitious farm and the imaginary work Edward would undertake, Fish casually mentioned he was in town to visit his niece and attend her birthday party and asked if little Grace would like to join him. Albert Fish, the unassuming-looking stranger, convinced Delia and Albert Budd to let him take their daughter along to the niece's birthday party, and they would never see her again. Ugh. Fish took Grace, dressing her Sunday best, to his house upstate, the same one he intended to use as a torture chamber for her brother, and according to the letter sent to Delia Budd along with his confession, Fish hid in an upstairs bedroom naked so as not to get blood on his clothing while Grace pr- picked wildflowers in the, in the yard. Fish then called her inside and she screamed at the sight of him, but he grabbed her before she could run. As his gruesome letter read, quote, First I stripped her naked. How did she kick, bite, and scratch? I choked her to death and cut her in small pieces so I could take the meat to my rooms, cook, and eat it. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. The letter, which had clearly been intended to cause panic within the Bud home, hastened Albert Fish's downfall. The paper he had written the letter on happened to be a piece of stationery from the New York Private Chauffeurs Benevolent Association. Police inquired within the company and found that the paper had been left behind by a janitor from the company at a rooming house he'd been staying at. The same rooming house, a man named Albert Fish was renting a place. Oh... Upon learning that Fish bore a strong resemblance to Frank Howard, Grace Bud's kidnapper, the police set up an interview. 
and to their surprise, Fish confessed in an instant, practically tripping over himself to reveal the precise details of what he had done to Grace Budd as well as a dozen of other children. But in the end, only three children, including Grace, could be con- co- concretely proven to be his victims. So he's a lot like our, like the one we discussed last week. That as mm-hmm. soon as police got to him, he just, psh, yep, yeah, I did it. I Here did it. it is. Here's what I did. Here's what I did with these other kids. But it also sounds like he's so crazy, he's not really sure what is real and what is not. Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. Oh, I got this other kid over here and did this and this. But there is no other kid, you know. Well... Grace Grace's was by far by far the most infamous of his crimes, but his other murders were linked to him after the arrest, and surprisingly, they're just as gruesome. According to Crime Museum, Albert Fish is believed to be responsible for the murder of a four-year-old boy named Billy Gaffney. Billy had disappeared while playing with a neighbor in Brooklyn on February 11, 1927. The child would later tell police that the boogeyman took Billy. The three-year-old boy described this boogeyman as a slender elderly man with gray hair and a gray mustache, but at first cops didn't take the child seriously. But when they searched all over the neighborhood with no clues, they finally realized he had been abducted and he was never seen again. After Fish's arrest, a motor a motorman on a Brooklyn trolley line came forward to identify him as a nervous old man that he saw on the same day Billy disappeared. Apparently, the old man was trying to quiet a little boy sitting next to him on the trolley who was crying out for his mother, and the man then dragged the little boy off the trolley. Fish admitted to the kidnapping and murder of Billy in sickening detail, quote, I took tools, a good heavy cat of nine tails, homemade, short handle, cut one of the, uh, my belts in half, slit these halves in six strips about eight inches long. I whipped his bear behind until the blood ran from his legs. I cut off his ears, nose, slit his mouth from ear to ear, gouged out his eyes. He was dead by then. I stuck the knife in his belly and held my mouth to his body and drank his blood. Although no one was able to ever find Billy's remains, people were able to locate the body of Fish's third confirmed victim relatively quickly. In 1924, a young boy named Francis McDonald vanished while playing with his brother and a group of friends on Staten Island. His body was found in the woods shortly after. He had been strangled by his own suspenders hanging by a tree near Francis's home. Uh, McDonald's, <clears throat> excuse me, McDonald's friends told police that he was taken by an elderly man with a gray mustache. A neighbor also told police he observed the boy with a similar-looking man walking along a grassy path in the, into the nearby woods. Francis's mother Anna said that she saw the same man earlier that day. She told reporters, quote, he came shuffling down the street, mumbling to himself and making queer motions with his hands. I saw his thick gray hair and his drooping gray mustache. Everything about him seemed faded and gray. Shortly before Albert Fish was put to death, he confessed to being the one who lured Francis into the woods, later assaulting and strangling him. He admitted that he was ready to dismember dismember the boy, but he thought he heard someone approaching and fled the scene. The trial of Albert Fish began on March 11, 1935, and demonstrated uh, quite clearly that the man was insane. Many confessions and testimonies were heard by law enforcement and, and psychiatrists. Mr. Fish described how he wanted to lure Edward Budd and his friend Willie to the farm to kill them. However, once he laid his eyes on Gracie, he changed his mind and desperately wanted to kill her. He took Gracie to the train station and purchased a one-way ticket for her. And after the ride to the countryside, he took her to, to a house, and we know the story from there. He discussed the details of the murder of Billy Gaffney, describing how he tied him up and beat him. He even admitted to drinking his blood and making a stew out of his body parts. 
His attitude was not like those of people with psychosis. He was calm and reserved, which was out of the ordinary. He confessed that he wanted to inflict pain and have pain inflicted on him, and he taunted and preyed on children, mostly boys. As expected, his defense pleaded innocent by reason of insanity. Fish did admit that his auditory hallucinations in the form of voices had told him to kill children. And despite numerous uh, psychiatrists involved in the trial supporting the insanity plea, the jury found Fish sane enough to be found guilty. The trial only took 10 days and er er ended with a verdict that saw Fish executed by electrocution the following year. While awaiting his fate behind bars in Sing Sing Prison, Fish was permitted to write a series of notes regarding his crimes. These would help reporters covering the gruesome crimes uh, more properly detail his crimes with a first-hand account sure to inter- entice readers. While it's generally believed he killed anywhere between three and nine victims, Fish himself had another figure in mind. His chilling claim is that he had a t- child in every state remains unconfirmed. Meanwhile, the man's detailed recollections from prison have never been released. Before his execution on January 16, 1936, Albert Fish's attorney, Jack Dempsey, refused to share his client's notes. It only took one, it, it only took one glance at them to determine what Fish had described was too macabre for public consumption. He said, quote, I will never show it to anyone. It was the most filthy string of obscenities that I have ever read. And that is the wow. story of Albert Fish. That sounds awful. Yeah, this was a pretty bad dude. Well... Okay, but he said he killed a child in every state. He said he had a child in every state, and and I didn't. I kind of I read that both ways. Did he mean he he had children of his own from every state, mm-hmm. or that he had killed a child in every state? I kind of went back and forth on that. Yeah. Which one it is, and I th- I think you're right. I think it's I think he was claiming that he had killed a child in every state. Yeah, and and I don't. From from the way that story read out, I don't think he could have. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't in every state. No, but I mean, who, yeah, who, knows? who knows? Yeah, who knows? I mean he he started he started his crimes in eighteen ninety, mm-hmm. and uh, you know and they got him in thirty nineteen thirty five. So yeah, or nineteen thirty four, nineteen thirty five. Yeah, so who knows? Who knows? I mean, it wasn't the it wasn't the digital age. It wasn't the age of information, mm-hmm. and they. They might not have connected him throughout different uh, yeah. different murders throughout the throughout the country. Yeah, who knows? Just yet another bad dude that we cover. Another bad dude. Yep. Well, we had a good dude and a bad dude. We had Steve Jackson and the this awful man. This is awful fish. Right, Albert Fish. Albert Fish. Well, so this was a short week, but I think it was a I think it was a good week of uh, of information that we covered. Uh, as always, you can find our information on nerderymurdery.com, where you can find the links to our social media as well as uh, information how to contact us. Also, find uh, links to everything we talked about plus pictures. So please do go check out our website for that. If you contact us and let us know things you want to hear, things you don't want to hear, we're always happy to listen to to everything you've asked. Yes. Uh, we've had uh, episodes that we've covered uh, on request from listeners, so please yes. do let us know. You can also find the link to our merchandise uh, on our website, where if you want to display your Nerdery and Murdery f- uh, fandom, please do check that out. And you can find the link to our patron where uh, our patrons get, get not only episodes early, but they get exclusive episodes. 
uh, just for our patrons. We do give information on our website about our patron exclusive, but the actual episode itself, you do have to become a patron in order to hear those. Please and thank you. Please and thank you. So that takes us to the end of another recording week. And with that, I have been Zig with your nerdery. And I'm Jeffrey with your murdery. Kid music.